your positive, positive, positive imprint. Stories are everywhere. People and their positive action inspire positive achievements. Your PI could mean the world to you. Get ready for your positive imprint. Hello, this is Catherine, your host of Your Positive Imprint, the variety show that features worldwide conversations with people whose positive actions are inspiring positive achievements. My mission is to bring the world of positive imprints to you and to inspire you to find your own positive imprints. Subscribe or follow this podcast by downloading episodes from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com, or Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Google Podcast, or your favorite podcast platform. Well, it is March, and March is International Surrogacy Awareness Month. My guest today, Lindsay Galt, is from Canada, where she is part of a very caring surrogacy team. Her team is For You Surrogacy Canada Incorporated. Lindsay is dedicated in helping to create and grow families through education and support. And if you don't know what surrogacy is or are not sure how you feel about it, well, Lindsay can help answer questions as she is an experienced surrogate. Lindsay, welcome to Your Positive Imprint. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> oh, this is this is fabulous. And, and you are over there in Canada. Tell us who Lindsay is. <laughs> well, uh, I guess... First and foremost, I'm a, I'm a mom, a single yeah. mom of an amazing daughter. She's about to turn 10. And I am also a mom to two amazing boys. One is five and the other just turned two. And I have a huge passion for surrogacy. I love the bonds that can be created as well as the families that can be grown. All my intended parents that I've been matched with, which there's three couples, are family to me and my daughter now. Let, let's get a... a definition for listeners who maybe aren't quite sure what surrogacy might be. So let's kind of start at the beginning with what it is and some of the things that it might entail. Well, they say infertility affects one in six Canadians. I think in the the States it's a little more than that. Um, And surrogacy is a great option for those who can't carry children on their own. So there's two types of surrogacy. There's traditional surrogacy, which isn't as common. So a surrogate would carry a baby for another couple using her own eggs and then either the intended father or a donor's sperm. And as soon as the baby is born, she, of course, hands it over to the parents. A lot of people see it as giving away a baby, but surrogates, tend to not see it that way. It's putting it in its parents' arms. So the other type of surrogacy that is more common, which is also the one that I did, is gestational surrogacy. So it doesn't, the baby doesn't have a genetic link to the surrogate mother. It is either the intended mother or donor eggs, and then again, intended father or donor sperm. So the embryos are created in the lab and then put into the surrogate's uterus to carry until hopefully full term. That This is incredible science to be able to do such a thing uh, for parents who are unable to have their own children or, or at least for the, the female to be able to carry a, a baby to term. And that's actually how you found your positive imprint. You heard an episode that I had, uh, I think back in June, with regard to surrogacy. And those were two amazing ladies uh, who share 
an incredible bond and friendship. Uh, and, of course, even more bonded with surrogacy. I was reading in your bio, you knew at a really young age that you wanted to be a surrogate mom. How could how could you even... How, I mean, that's just incredible to be able to feel that much in your heart for that. What what do you think that was? Did you have a lot of siblings? I didn't. I have two older brothers. Okay. But from a very young age, I knew I wanted to be a mom. It was just part of who I was, even very young. Like I remember in grade one, my mom fought me on my Halloween costume, but I went as a bride because I knew eventually I wanted to get married and have a family and part of that was being a mom, and that was, I think, the main goal was always to be a mom. I always loved kids. I started babysitting when I was in grade five. I babysat a newborn in grade six, um, and I just always loved kids. Kids always loved me, and I just knew it was part of who I was, but there was always that fear in the back of my mind, even as a child, that something would prevent me from becoming a mother. So when I was in like grade what? Okay, keep going. Sorry. Well, I had heard other people have issues having children sometimes. Like, you just hear things even as a child. And that was just a fear of mine that I wouldn't be able to for some reason. So grade 8 art class, we were flipping through magazines to find photos for a collage. And I came across an article about surrogacy. And that was the very first time I'd ever heard of surrogacy. And I just, I sat there and read the whole article. I didn't get my collage done, but <laughs> about surrogacy. And I promised myself like right then and there that if I had the ability to carry children, I would help others who didn't. And so it was a, a goal of mine for a very long time. And I was very fortunate that I was easily able to get pregnant and I had no complications with my daughter so when I knew that I didn't want any more of my own, that was the time to help others have theirs. You knew you wanted to be a mom, but you also knew you wanted to be a surrogate mom. How did this process take place? Because you, people don't just say, oh, I just want to be a surrogate mom. I mean, I know that there are people that make money doing it, and that's not where you were at. You were there because you had this huge heart. So talk about this process. Yeah, so... I didn't really know that much about the process, so I just I Googled, and the first company that came up, I contacted them and filled out an application, and I, I didn't know a whole lot about the laws in Canada, but I never even considered being paid as a surrogate, so later when I found out that it's illegal to pay a surrogate in Canada, like that didn't bother me at all. I actually, I still think that that's fantastic because then it's women who are doing it all for the right reasons and I know some that get paid for it like in the states and stuff they are doing it for the right reasons as well but money sometimes can motivate people who wouldn't normally do it and they might not be in the right mindset because surrogacy definitely is not for everyone not everybody is able to be a surrogate and it doesn't mean that they're not as good a person or anything it's just not part of who they are and for me, it was definitely part of who I was. So I contacted the agency, filled out an application. The screening process was pretty much non-existent with that company. So when I went for my first medical, I actually didn't know the process. I didn't know I was going to be doing all these medications. But I had met an amazing couple. It was actually an international couple in Switzerland. And the first time we 
talked on Skype. It just, it felt right. It felt amazing. I was so excited to be helping this amazing couple. Oh my gosh. When I went for medical screening, I had to fly to Toronto. I'm in Edmonton, Alberta. So it was across the country. Um, But I left that screening with a bag full of medications, including a bunch of needles. And I had no idea I was going to have to do all those. And at the time I was terrified of needles like terrified I would almost pass out going to get blood work (laughs) so the thought of having to give myself daily injections was terrifying but I at this point I already completely loved this couple and really wanted to see them become parents so I was like well I'm just gonna have to figure out how to stab myself with a needle every day and the first time it did take about probably a a good hour (laughs) get the courage to stab myself with it I it has to go in like the back of the hip so I was like twisted around holding the needle and I was doing the count on like one two and I could never get to the three for the longest time I was just I almost had to go ask the intended father if he could do it because he was giving his wife her injections for her egg retrieval but eventually I did it and the needle was intimidating because it was very long but it was very thin. So when I finally managed to poke myself, I felt silly because I barely felt it. (laughs) (laughs) So that, that was a huge hurdle to overcome. But now I've been through it so much that needles don't bother me at all, which is, it's good. It it made me stronger, I think. So um, unfortunately that couple, we did seven tries over five years and they never did end up with a baby. Oh no heartbreaking but over those five years like my daughter and I went to Switzerland we lived with them for three months while we did two embryo transfers in Belgium and yeah it was just it was heartbreaking but we bonded so they are family to us my daughter and I actually flew out to Switzerland last spring break and spent the week with them so they didn't get the baby they were hoping for but their family still grew and yes, with with you and your daughter, that that's so sweet that that last part that their family still grew. So what what are some of the reasons for why it doesn't work? Well, they wanted like I understand she she couldn't have babies on her own. She had to have her uterus removed due to fibroids. So the option to have it on their own was not there, and she really wanted her own genetic child. Um, but they were in their 40s, their later 40s. At the time, I think she was 46 when they took the first eggs. And the doctor had said that they, the embryos weren't the best quality. A lot was because of the age. But she really, really wanted it to be her own. So she didn't want to use a donor. Because I, after several transfers, I offered my eggs, but... She said if she ever went with a donor, it would have to be somebody she didn't know because her sister also offered her eggs. But unfortunately, the embryos just were not strong enough, I guess. Oh, so through all of those years, what what a disappointment. But they're happily married and they do have you and your daughter as part of the, the uh, as you said, the bonding and the, their extended family, which, which yeah. is really awesome. And how did the Swiss couple find you? It was through, a, oh, I guess they call it a consultancy here in Canada. It wasn't as big as like, the agencies, 
but they had signed up with them and then I signed up with them because when you do a Google search, it's the first company that comes up when you search surrogacy in Canada. And so that's how we met. Okay. And, but then all of the lab work for them was actually done in Switzerland or no, you said, you said we Toronto. Did, we started in Toronto at ReproMed. And then they, after several failed transfers, they had just started a new company and I was a student at the time, but it was distance education so I could travel. So it was easier for my daughter and I to go to Switzerland than for them to keep coming to Canada. And so they had some embryos created in Austria actually, but in Austria the laws are very strict and they can't put an embryo in a foreign body. It has to go back in the genetic body, so they had to ship the embryos to Belgium, where surrogacy is legal, so they were able to do the embryo transfer in Belgium. Oh, that is so interesting, and they certainly did go through quite a bit, and so that was your first experience with surrogacy, and how did you feel after all that? I mean, you obviously went on, but yeah. Yeah, it was hard. Every embryo transfer that failed we even had um, a chemical so it said we were pregnant but by the time I flew home it was coming up negative the home tests so it was it was heartbreaking every time like I felt sad for me because I really wanted to be able to play this amazing role for them but I was more sad for them because as hard as it was for me it was harder for them because each time that was like a little more of their hope gone for a baby right so it, it was hard and there were times that I worried that it was my body and so I, I I was scared that my body was for some reason failing them and it was my fault that they were losing these chances at a baby and then it got to the point towards the end where I was almost hoping that it was my body so that they would still have that chance and I know now, like, it took about four doctors to convince me that, no, it wasn't my body, it was the embryos, but it was still, it was very emotional for me, and I know it was for them, because when I, especially when I was with them, when we found out it, what didn't take seeing their faces and how sad they were, it was, it was really hard. Yeah. So that was five years. So then you went on, and how long was it before another couple found you? It was not long. I had spoken to them. I waited after the last failed transfer. I waited a few months and just to see what they wanted to do, and they said they, they just couldn't go through the failure anymore, so they were going to look at adoption. And this was actually after six failed transfers, so we still had one more coming, but at the time, they said they were going to look at adoption. So I asked how they would feel if I found a different couple to match with because I still really wanted to be a surrogate. And they were actually really supportive of it. They understood that it was a dream of mine. And they were happy for me to see if I could help another couple. So I went back to the same company. And I found a couple really quickly. They were in France. And this time, it actually took on the very first try. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Um, it was a very different experience. I mean, we still bonded, and they're still family, but we didn't go through as much as the first couple. And it was a fairly smooth pregnancy. There weren't really any complications. 
Um, Mom and I kind of butted heads a few times because she was very set in her ways. She wanted it to go according to schedule. (laughs) I kept telling her, I'm like, well, just wait. Babies don't go according to your schedule. You're going to have to adapt to baby schedule. Nope, nope, nope. I'll have my baby go to my schedule. Well, surprise, baby came two weeks before he was supposed to. (laughs) A C-section two weeks before due date because my daughter had been a C-section. And so to reduce the risks for me, they said, well, we'll schedule C-section. But if you go into labor, you can do a a V-back, so vaginal after uh, cesarean. So yeah, two weeks before scheduled C-section, my water broke. And mom was in Paris having lunch with her boss and a coworker. And where were you? I was in Edmonton. Okay. (laughs) It was about... 3 a.m. that my water broke so I had to call my mom to come and pick me up and take me to the hospital so my brother could stay with my daughter and yeah so I I messaged as soon as I found out my water broke because I had never been through labor because my daughter was the c-section so I didn't really know what was happening I actually thought of being myself at first (laughs) (laughs) your water broke baby's coming I was like oh well that's not good it was a Friday And like I said, she was just having lunch. Dad was at work. And there was also an Air France strike at the time. So it was kind of chaos with air fares and, well, I guess the flights because of the Air France strike. Other airlines were really backed up. So labor ended up being 28 hours because he was very slow. He kept making us think, oh, there's progress. But then he'd stop. And so they're like, well, I think we're going to have to do a C-section. And then they'd check and, oh, there's enough progress. We can wait a little longer. And then he'd stop. So he, he held out a long time for his mom to arrive. But even with 28 hours of labor, because of the, the day of the week and the strike, she was 14 hours after delivery. Oh, but wow. I got to actually, she walked in and I got to actually say, here is your son and hand her her baby, which was an incredible feeling. I actually got a video, which was really emotional and the nurses were all standing by to watch because they couldn't wait. They had never met a surrogate before and they couldn't wait to see that moment. And it was definitely an incredible moment. It was better than I had ever imagined. It was amazing. And then I think it was two weeks later, dad finally got to come because he couldn't leave work right away. And so we were at the airport and got to be there when the whole family came together for the first time. It was just it's so amazing. I have a video of that as well from the airport. And even now, every time I watch it, I just got tears in my eyes because I was like, it was so amazing. How priceless. Being pregnant can obviously cause a lot of detriment for you. And of course, even in the worst scenarios, death. And you had just this amazing, huge heart and these positive imprints that that moved you towards being a surrogate mom. You're incredible. And to hear this story, it's priceless to hear how you handed her son to her and and what a moment for her. Can you imagine being not able to get on a plane to get out to meet your son for the first time? He was actually born while she was on the plane from Paris to Toronto. So while she was going through security or the customs in Toronto, she got the message that her son was born. And she said she was just like bawling, going through customs. (laughs) My son 
was just bored and everybody was looking at her like she was crazy. <laughs> she said it was so emotional. Yeah. It was uh, just amazing. It was absolutely. And you still keep in touch with them. Yes, absolutely. My daughter and I have gone to Paris to visit. They're planning a trip. I think it's next summer. But next month, my daughter and I are actually going to London, which is where my last couple was from. And both serial babies that I've carried are going to get to meet for the first time, which is going to be amazing. So the couple from France and the couple from whom you're going to talk about next. How exciting. And how old is your daughter right now? She's turning 10 in one month. So she's old enough to understand. And how does she feel about all of this? She's probably super excited about it. Yeah. And she she was actually in the delivery room for the French Zero Baby. The nurse said that when she got scared, an adult would have to take her out. And I had several support people with me. But she didn't get scared. She literally watched the entire birth. Um, She was in preschool at the time. So it was a super awkward Monday after delivery because I got to the preschool and all the kids came running up to me and they're like, Lindsay, Lindsay, we heard a baby came out of your vagina. <laughs> oh my goodness. It was, it was embarrassing, but I was like, at least she's very proud of it. And the parents thought it was hilarious, thankfully. <laughs> I was like, oh, I didn't expect that. <laughs> and she, I like that my daughter was able to, to learn valuable lessons through my actions because she has learned that if we have the ability to help others, we do it just because we can not to expect anything in return. And at 10, she's already saying she wants to be a surrogate when she's older. Well, and your actions are very positive. And I know that there are are people throughout the world that don't agree with surrogacy, but there's something to be said about your bonding and the way it's done with such care and grace. Uh, So, all right, so now you have the second couple. Yes. So I matched with, I went back to the same company again because surrogacy in Canada, there's, there's a fair bit of drama in the surrogacy community. I think agencies feel like they have to kind of try to be better than others and it's very competitive. So I was scared that it might be worse other places. So I kept going back to the same company, even though the support wasn't really there. Um, But I met amazing couples. So when I went back, it was actually very overwhelming. I was the only surrogate available at the time with that agency. And I received about 80 emails in the first 24 hours was incredibly overwhelming because usually I went into the matching stage just wanting to find the best connection and not having any criteria because I feel like anybody who really wants to be a parent should have that and they all deserve to have children. And with so many intended parents contacting me, it was, it was hard because I had to kind of eliminate some somehow because I couldn't just talk to all of them. Like it would make it that much harder because everybody has this amazing story that brought them to surrogacy and why they want to have kids and what they think their future is going to look like. And so it it pulls on the heartstrings every single time. So that time I actually had to eliminate people. So I felt really bad doing it. But like first I was like, well, those that already have children, like they deserve to have more of course, but they can wait a little longer. So I decided to only look at the ones who didn't already have children 
And then there were single intended parents. And I was like, well, I'm a single mom. I know how hard that can be at times, especially with a newborn. So I eliminated the single parents, but each time I had to eliminate people just based on criteria like that, it, it was heartbreaking because I felt bad. But then once I had it narrowed down to a reasonable number, I just, I started Skyping and I actually wanted to have a couple close by because I had never experienced that. I didn't, I didn't have anybody that could come to appointments on a regular basis with me and stuff. So I was like, I think I'd like to see how that would work. But then this amazing gay couple from London, they were married, I think a year at the time they reached out and something about their profile and their first email. Like I just kept going back to them, even though I had wanted a local couple and I, they asked to Skype and I said, well, my daughter has to be a part of the process so we can wait till the weekend. But they were like, well, no, let's Skype just us first. And then we can Skype with your daughter when she's home from school on the weekend. So I Skyped with them during the week and I just fell in love with them. I was like, I want this couple, but Aww. I knew daughter had to have a say because I, I kept her as involved in the process as possible so that she felt like it was our journey together. So on the weekend, we set up a Skype and we had signs already made up, but I said, like, you give the okay. So when she gave a thumbs up off screen, we had signs that said, we choose you. Will you choose us? <laughs> Your surrogate. And they were just like, oh my goodness, yes. And it was just, it was amazing. And again, that journey was, at the beginning, it was very easy because it took on the first try again, they had their embryos PGS tested. They had three embryos, which to me, three was, did not seem like a lot because with all the embryos we went through with the Swiss couple, it was like a little overwhelming thinking there's only three embryos, but they were PGS tested and I never had embryos that were PGS tested before. What does that mean? So it's, oh my gosh, I can't, it's basically genetic testing on the embryos. So it'll say if there's any abnormalities in the embryos oh, okay. Okay. implanted into a surrogate. So they knew that they were good quality embryos. And so they transferred one embryo and it took, and I knew that first night because we were all in Toronto together and we had been walking around. And then in the middle of the night, I woke up with these severe cramps. And I remember that from the embryo that took before. So I knew. So when I got up in the morning, I had already told the guys, like, if there's bad cramping, like, don't worry. It's a good sign, apparently. So when I woke up in the morning, they're like, oh, how did you sleep? I said, well, I woke up at about 3 a.m. with severe cramping. And they're like, oh, yay. And they're like, oh, but I'm sorry. I was like, don't be sorry. It's good. And I, I just knew that it had taken because I had been through it before. And being through so many embryo transfers, you get to know your body so well. Like, I got to learn. Like, I can feel when I ovulate. Like, I know exactly which side is releasing an egg and everything, like, even now. And it's just amazing. You get to know so well. So I knew for sure it had taken. So I was testing like crazy. I had a first aid training the next day for work. And I took a test in the morning and it was still positive. And I was like, this isn't possible like this early. So I stopped at the store across the street from the first aid training and got a digital one. And I went into the public bathroom and I peed on it and I stuck it in my purse after. So I went out to the car and then I looked at it and it said pregnant. And I was like, <laughs> and it was just it was amazing. The beginning part was really smooth. 
Um, and partway through, I can't remember at what point, what, how many weeks along, but I went out to London with my daughter. They said they would have come to see me, but instead they wanted us to go there so that we could see where they live and meet their family um, because they would be coming out to Edmonton for birth. So they would see where we live. So we went out to London and we got to do a 40 ultrasound and see, we stayed with them and met family and got to experience so many amazing things with them. And we just really, really bonded. But it was in the later second trimester, my doctor called me after one of the ultrasounds and said that I was placenta privia. And I didn't know what that was at the time, but it's when the placenta is actually over the cervix. So it obviously blocks baby's way out. So I had to be on pelvic rest, which wasn't a huge issue for me because I was single. But he said if there's any sign of bleeding at all, I needed to go right to the hospital. So I was due, I think I was doing in March. Yeah, I was due in March. I think it was March 8th or something like that was my due date. Um, but December 21st, I was at work and I got some spotting. So I had to go into the hospital. I was getting some contractions, but they were able to slow it. And this was, what was it, 20, 28 weeks? About 28 weeks along. So that was definitely too early. Um, so it was a bit scary. But they were able to slow everything. The bleeding stopped. The contraction stopped. So they sent me home but said I needed to take it easy. But it was Christmas holidays and I was working in an elementary school at the time. So I didn't have to worry about work or anything. But a few days later, maybe a week later, I started bleeding again. But it was very light. And I knew I had a doctor's appointment with the OB on January 3rd. So I was like, well, I'll just take it easy, rest a lot until January 3rd because I'm going in to see him anyways and I don't want dads to be stressing too much if I go to the hospital and that adds stress so that can kind of make things move along quicker than we want. So I stayed home, rested. January 1st, I woke up to a big gush of blood. Oh no. That was terrifying. I was living with my mom because she had had cancer, so I moved back home with her. But she was working at the time. She's an air traffic controller, and she was on a midnight shift. So I called her at work, and I said, Mom, I need to go to the hospital. I had a huge gush of blood. Like, there, it was it was really big and scary. <laughs> so she came home and drove me to the hospital. And the gushing, they were able to stop it and slow contractions. But I was put on strict bed rest in the hospital. I was also gestational diabetic. So um, I had only gone to one appointment with a diabetes doctor before I was hospitalized. So then they were coming to see me. But I was also losing a lot of weight for some reason. So it was food was a struggle because the gestational diabetes diet, they usually go low fat, low sugar, all that stuff. But because I was losing so much weight, they were, they were sending me a lot of food and saying I had to eat it all, but I couldn't. I, I would just finish a meal and they'd bring a snack. And I'd be like, well, I have to wait a bit to eat the snack. Then I'd just finish the snack and they'd bring the next meal. And they were very strict. They're like, you have to eat it all because you're losing too much weight. And then they were also trying to get the food services people to bring me high fat, like full fat cheese, full fat milk and stuff. But it was 
it was a bit of a struggle because they were used to diabetes diet gets low fat. So my mom actually smuggled a little fridge into my house <laughs> for me. And she would bring me full fat cheese and full fat yogurt and milk and stuff. Um, but it was, it got to the point where food just stressed me right out. And every other, every two to three days, I was getting another big gush of blood. And I would be rushed up to labor and delivery. And I'd usually spend the night there. It always seemed to be in, late in the evening that I had the gush. And they'd send me up. And I'd spend most of the night up there, barely sleeping. And then I'd be back down. So I was really emotional and finally the dads were like, well, one of us needs to be there with you. So they said Wes was going to come to Canada that weekend. It was earlier in the week that they said that. I think it was like Monday or Tuesday. They said Saturday he would be arriving. Wednesday night around 11 o'clock I woke up and I felt that I was about to have a big gush. I managed to make it to the bathroom, but it was by far the biggest one I'd had. Like, it was scary. I pulled the emergency string that's right beside the toilet. Two nurses came rushing in, and they they just saw, like, the pad in my underwear, and they're like, oh, that's not much. And I said, well, look in the toilet. And they looked in, and they're like, oh, we need to get you in the bed and strap you to the monitor for the check the baby. And it was 11 o'clock, so the lights had all been off, but the bathroom light was automatic. They both left. They said they were going to get the doctor. About 15 minutes later, the bathroom light timed out, so it turned off. I was in pitch black. I couldn't find the button to push for the nurses because I didn't know where they were. It had already been 15 minutes, and they hadn't come oh back gosh. to me. I was still bleeding. The button had fallen down, so I couldn't get it. I was strapped to the baby monitors. And then I was like, what do I do? Like, Do I grab my cell phone and call 911? Do I try to track down the hospital number and try to find like which ward I'm in? It was terrifying. Then it was 35 minutes after they left the room, a different nurse came into my room and she said, oh, I heard you had a little bleed. And I was like, a little bleed? I said, go check the toilet. They didn't flush. And she went in. She's like, oh my God, you need to be in labor and delivery. You need a doctor right now. And so I got rushed up to labor and delivery. Again, they managed to slow and stop the bleeding and contractions. And then... It was morning, and they said, I because I was gestational diabetic, I had to have my insulin, so I had to go back to my room to eat. Not five minutes after I finished eating, my OB came in, and he said, Lindsay, for your safety, we need to deliver this baby today. He's like, don't eat anything. And I was like, well, they just made me eat breakfast. And so we had to wait eight hours. But he was like, make your calls, call the dads, call your support person, because you need one person in the OR with you. So I called my friends first for some reason and I told her it's going to be eight hours but she came right away and I called I FaceTimed the dads one was just getting home from work the other was on his way home but I said baby's coming today we have to take him out it was 30 weeks or sorry 32 weeks so he was eight weeks early but they said if I started bleeding again they would have to take me in even with the added risks of me having eaten I made it about seven hours and then bleeding started. I was up in labor and delivery. I had to have another, I already had an IV, like pretty much the whole, it was almost two weeks. It was 11 days at this point that I had been in the hospital. I had to get another IV put in because they were pretty sure I was going to need blood transfusion. 
So I had that put in. My friend was amazing. She took over my phone and was responding to messages. And seven hours, I started bleeding. So they said, we have to take you into the OR right now. The nurse that I had had for most of the day, she stayed late from her shift so that she would be there for me because she had been there for the seven hours before. And uh, I got to know all the nurses. So they were all really supportive and amazing and the doctors and everything. So they're wheeling me into the OR and an alarm started sounding, in which case they lock all the gallery doors. So they said they would have to park me outside the OR until the alarm stopped and they could get me in. So they strapped the baby monitor on again to keep track of baby. And then I felt something was wrong. <laughs> Sorry, I'll probably get a little emotional because this is the hard part. Um, I started bleeding really, really badly. Thankfully, at that time, the alarm went off. So they got me into the OR, but for some reason, the alarm started going again. So it got locked and the doctor was not in the OR. And my friend wasn't in there yet. She was locked out as well. And I was just bleeding so bad. They got me on the bed. They were asking if any of the nurses were comfortable enough to do an emergency C-section because the doctor wasn't in there and they had to operate. Thankfully, the alarm stopped and doctor was able to come in and it was a bit of a blur and I kind of, I think I kind of blocked a lot of it for a while, but baby was bored and my friend, I told her as soon as baby's bored, like you go watch him, like don't worry about me, I'm in good hands, but she kept coming and giving me updates. He was in like an incubator in the OR for a while and then I remember after the doctor came over and said he was proud of me because I had signed papers to get a ligation because they had already said it wouldn't be safe for me to get pregnant again. So he came over and said he was proud of me for everything. He had been my OB since my daughter. So we And we had bonded over the last two weeks because he had been coming in to see me every single day to check on me and we'd had some good heart to heart. Um, and then I remember one of the hospital staff went to take a blanket off of me and somebody said no stop this patient is naked underneath and he's like why would she be naked said there was too much blood because I had lost just so much blood it turns out I had a full abruption outside the OR so if I had been in my room at that time by yourself you would have bled to death and baby wouldn't have made it either so I was very lucky that my daughter had, or my doctor had made that call that morning, and I happened to be in the right place when it happened. I remember being wheeled across to recovery, and somebody said, Look to your left. So I turned my head to the left and saw a baby coming out in the incubator. He was getting wheeled to NICU. And then while I was in recovery, my daughter called on FaceTime, but I was like, I was not myself and I, I told her flat out, I was like, Izzy, I love you, but I can't talk to you right now because if I keep looking at the phone, I'm going to throw up. And so she understood. It was hard for her because she wanted to be there with me, but she couldn't with the operation and everything. And the next morning, they always say like you have to be able to get up and walk to the bathroom before they unhook you from things, but I couldn't even sit up. I had to have two blood transfusions before I was actually strong enough to like get up and move at all. So I didn't get to see him. It was he was born on the Thursday. I saw him later on the Friday, like in person. And Dad's 
both ended up arriving on the Saturday because they were supposed to arrive on the Friday, but there was a snowstorm. It was January, so they got stranded in Toronto overnight, and so they didn't make it till Saturday. But I made sure I had somebody wheel me to NICU, so when they arrived, I, I had him on my chest, giving him skin to skin out of the incubator. So as soon as they arrived, because I felt like if I had him on my skin, they would be encouraged to do that right away because they would see that it was okay because seeing him, he was two months early, but he was still six pounds. My body fed him well, which is <laughs> losing so much weight. Um, but seeing him still in the incubator, it was very intimidating. And I thought that they might feel like they shouldn't take him out. So that's why I made sure I was there and I had him out on my chest. And as soon as they arrived, they shirts were off and he was on their chest. So it was... Oh. And we got a video of that as well. The nurses were super excited for them to arrive and meet their son. Wow. It was a bit scary. And I was in denial for a long time saying, oh, no, it wasn't that bad. And my friend who was there, she's like, you almost died. And I was like, I, I didn't, I thought she was exaggerating a little. And then when the doctor confirmed it, I kind of accepted that that's how it was. It was worse than I had thought baby spent one month in NICU um, but I was there every day and so dads arrived on Saturday one of them had to go back to work on the Monday and then he was coming back a little later but when we were going back to the hospital to say he for him to say bye to his son before we took him to the airport the other dad got a call from Ireland his dad had passed away oh so that was really hard because one dad had to go back to London. His The other one's dad passed away and he was like, well, my son needs me so I won't go to the funeral. And I was like, well, no, he was my responsibility until 40 weeks. Like it was my body that rejected him early. So it's my, it's my body that put him in NICU. So I was like, I can continue to take care of him while you go. And I got on the phone with airlines to get him a bereavement flight and he went, I think it was four days he was gone, but I was at NICU every day taking care of baby for him. And when he came back, like we were both there every day. And then when his husband came back, like all of us, we were at the hospital every day, all day. My daughter, when she was not in school and she could come too, she was right there as well. It was like, we were a team. We were this amazing team. And there was never any jealousy or anything like, the dads even said, he's like, between all of us, he should have skin to skin almost constantly. <laughs> so we did. We took turns. I was pumping breast milk for him. And it was it was an amazing experience. And it felt like we were all family. And it was amazing. And it's still we're still very close. What? A journey, but to journey together. I mean, this is this is truly your stories are so heartwarming and the positive imprints of you, your daughter, the nurses, the husbands who are uh, loving their son, but have all of these other things involved. So your journey together was one that is a remarkable journey and story of such human kindness and bonding. It was an amazing, like all my, my entire surrogacy journey was just incredible. And yes, I had some negatives, but I wouldn't have changed any of it. And I don't regret anything 
I, I feel so honored that I've been able to have these experiences and do these amazing things for others. Yes. And how old is this, is their son now? He just turned two on the 11th of January. So, yeah, and like I said, the two Cerro babies get to meet in March um, because we're flying out to London for spring break. And as soon as our French family found out, they were like, we're coming out for the weekend. So we're going to have a big Cerro family lunch. We rented a house near the guys. uh, So... We're going to have everybody over and the boys are going to meet for the first time because both sides have always said they want their boys growing up knowing each other and knowing where they came from. So it's it's going to be an amazing experience. I'm so excited. Right. Oh, yes. And, and March being the International Surrogacy Awareness Month, is was it planned that way? It wasn't. It was just... When spring break was, oh, and I could go. Yeah, how, how amazingly incredible! I, I'm I'm so speechless at hearing this story because, truly, you know, the way we give to each other is different for everybody, and people risk their lives to help other people, and and truly, that's you know, pregnancy is is a way of is a type of risking. It is. Yeah. Yeah. And recently, I'm not sure if you heard somebody, a surrogate did die during delivery. No, I didn't hear. It's, it's hard for me to read things like that right now. Um, I think it's still kind of raw. It's only been two years, but, right. and it took a good six months to a year for me to actually accept that it did almost happen to me. So, and I still get a little emotional thinking about it just because, it did. I did come close, but I was lucky. I was very lucky. You were very lucky, very very lucky. And and thank goodness that other nurse came in when you couldn't find because yeah. the other nurses abandoned you or or something With, happened. Maybe they had another emergency. It was a, a shift change, so they were. It was the end of their shift. Oh, and they didn't tell the next shift that you had. So they it was didn't lack of communication because they didn't want to have to stay late or anything. So they just said, "Oh, she had a bleed," but made it. They kind of downplayed it. Oh, it could have been really, really bad, though. Yes, so, but thankfully, when the new nurses come on, they do their rounds and check on everybody. So that's what that one nurse did, and she got me right up to labor and delivery. Yes. So, what is your role now? Because you're still part of. For You Surrogacy Canada. So yeah. what, what, what is your role in, in parents' journeys? Well, after the last delivery, I had physical issues, like monthly. It was really, really bad, like never before. So I ended up having to have a hysterectomy the September after I delivered the last zero baby. So I definitely did not have the ability to carry any longer. And that was like I knew before then that I couldn't carry anymore, but it was very final. And I wasn't sad that I wouldn't be able to have any more of my own because I didn't have the desire to have any more of my own, but I wasn't ready to be done as a surrogate. I wanted to be able to give the last surrogate baby a sibling and I wanted to help more couples. So 
people kept telling me that I was their support through their journeys because they weren't getting it from the agencies they were with. They were always coming to me anyways. And they kept suggesting I started an agency, but I didn't think I could do it alone. And my, one of the last intended fathers that I delivered for actually partnered with me and we started for you surrogacy. Oh, that's you. Okay. So I didn't realize that. Yeah. So we started, the company as a way for him. I think it was a way that he could give back, not just to the surrogacy community, but I think he never said it, but I think it was a way that he could give back to me, I guess, because he was supporting me in this. Um, he's more of a silent partner, but this was for me, it's the way I can continue to help others have the families they're dreaming of. And I had such amazing journeys. So I want to help others have those amazing journeys to have those incredible bonds grown. Because I know if you don't have the proper support, if you don't have the proper information and all that, it it can be hard to navigate through surrogacy because there's so many legalities. There's the emotional issues, the financial, because in Canada, like, the, re- the expenses can be reimbursed that are related to the surrogacy, but you have to be careful that there isn't compensation. Otherwise, people are at risk of being charged. Uh, so there's a lot that can cause a lot of stress. And if you don't have the right support through, it can be, it can be difficult. And sometimes the bonds that can be created aren't because of those difficulties. And you hear of some stories with intended parents having a lot of resentment or vice versa and they just don't have those relationships after and people just have a bad feeling about surrogacy when they have those experiences so I just want to be able to help people to have amazing experiences and to have those incredible bonds grown while also growing families absolutely well you definitely are the perfect person to run such an organization to be there for intended parents and for the surrogate moms. And who better than somebody who has experienced what you have you know, with not just the physicality part of it, but the emotional journey. And to bring that back to other people who are wanting to go on, on, a, on a pleasant journey while their baby is being born. Yeah, I, I found a lot of people will only tell the positives of surrogacy, but I feel like I'm a good example because I've been through a lot of the negatives mm-hmm. as well. And even through all those negatives, I still see surrogacy as such a positive. It's such an amazing thing. And yeah, there were some pretty big negatives, but overall, it was still such an amazing thing. And like I said it before, I wouldn't have changed any of it. I feel lucky that I've had the amazing experiences I have. Well, and the parents of the babies, the Suros, are so incredibly lucky to have you and your daughter as part of their extended family for a lifetime. And now you have this absolute wonderful For You Surrogacy Canada. with one of the dads, which is just another, regardless if he's a silent partner or not, it's it's an incredible, if you want to call it a gesture, but 
So you've gone on, you're you've going through college, you're into cooking, and are you going to do anything with that? Eventually, the goal for my daughter and I both is to have a little restaurant, nothing too big, but because I did work in fine dining restaurants after I got my culinary diploma right out of high school, um, and I enjoyed it, but I love creating my own foods. Like even now, we do dinner parties sometimes, and. <laughs> Whenever anybody really wants to try something that they've heard, they always come to me and they're like, hey, can you make this? And I'm always like, yeah, of course I can. <laughs> Challenge accepted, always. So <laughs> eventually we would like to have a little restaurant. And my daughter already has like a name picked out and she's got all these plans for us. And that is the end goal, I think. But I always want to be a part of surrogacy. So I, I think I'll always be part of it for sure because I just... I love surrogacy so much. And I know you have a, a team there, so you would you could step away as the lead in that, and it would still continue over there in Canada. And I thank you for being in compliance because that's awesome that you talked about that because I think that's so important for people to know. So thank you for that. So any last inspiring words to share with with our wonderful, absolute wonderful world. I just think it's such an amazing thing, whether it's through surrogacy or other means, to help others when we have that ability to help people who don't have the same abilities. It's just an amazing feeling and it can inspire others to do similar actions. So I feel like it's a chain reaction. When people see good, they want to do good as well. And it makes so many more people feel amazing. Lindsay Galt, you are incredible. I absolutely love chatting with you and your daughter is so lucky to have such a wonderful positive imprint in her life. Thank you. Good luck here in just a, a short amount of time before the Suro babies meet and yes. the parents meet. <laughs> it's going to be an amazing day for sure. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it and I will keep in touch with you on that uh, because it would be a fun update. For sure. Yeah. Thank you again for sharing your story here on Your Positive Imprint. Thank you. So if you are ready to take that journey, please contact Lindsay at ForYouSurrogacy.com and that's the number four and then the letter U, surrogacy.com. Thanks for listening to Your Positive Imprint, music by Chris Knoll. Head over to his website for more fantastic music, chrisknoll.com. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram, Your Positive Imprint. Sign up for podcast updates and listen to episodes from my website, yourpositiveimprint.com. Subscribe or follow this podcast on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. Hit that download button, Your Positive Imprint. What's your PI?